I love baptisms. Um, I love I love seeing these these guys that were just up here telling all of us that they have decided to follow Jesus. Uh, it's a joy to be with you guys this morning. Let's uh, take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to First Samuel chapter one. First Samuel chapter one. It's a great privilege and a joy to be with you guys this morning. It's always great to be gathered with brothers and sisters of Christ with God's word between us. And I'm excited to have the message here this morning about Hannah. Uh, the words we just sang, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, I think could sum up well uh, the story we're going to hear about this morning uh, from Hannah. The very, fat, the very last verse of Judges in chapter 21, verse 25, says that in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this was not simply a political commentary on the state of Israel at that time, but was a spiritual commentary on their spiritual state. And it was in that background that we find Hannah this morning. And I think that's a background that most of us could identify with right now in this time and place as well. I think much of what we'll see from Hannah we'll be able to identify with, uh, whether it's trials you're going through this morning right now, or whether it's trials you've been through, or whether it's trials you're going go to go through in the future, I think what we learn from Hannah this morning will be helpful to us. As uh, George reminded us last week, and as Randy might reminded us a couple of weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 says that these things, speaking of the Old Testament, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. And we will see an example this morning from Hannah, and we will receive instruction from God's word. We will see the truth of Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good for those that love God. We will see an example of the fruits of the Spirit. We will see an example of what it means to cast all of our care on God. And we will see an example of what it looks like to have our eyes fixed on a heavenly treasure that is imperishable. Now, this is not intended to be a Mother's Day type of message. Oftentimes that's the way Hannah is taught, and that's not what we're going to do this morning. And what's, what we learn from the Bible about Hannah here is not meant just for women, uh, just like what we learn about Job or David or uh, Joseph is not intended just for men, okay? But I do think it's important right up front to recognize that the hero of this story is not Hannah. The hero of this story is God. And what makes this story great is not how great Hannah's suffering was, or not how great her victim status was, but what makes this story great and what makes your story great and what makes my story great is the greatness of our God. It is important to see through this story the interweaving of two different plots contained within one tale, and that's Hannah's story and his story. The beginning of Hannah, as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, 
The beginning of this story starts to open much like a movie might. If you can imagine the opening of a movie and there's a camera sweeping across an Israeli countryside until eventually a particular house comes into focus and then eventually a particular family and then Hannah becomes the focus of the camera. And as the soundtrack is playing and as the credits disappear, you might see on the screen these words. In those days, or I should say somewhere in Israel, 1100 BC, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let's look together here at these verses, and we're going to split this up into four sections. The first is going to be Hannah's predicament. The second is going to be Hannah's prayer, and then Hannah's uh, provision, and other way. He told me, push the down button. Not up. Verses 1 through 8 are Hannah's predicament. 9 through 18 is Hannah's prayer. 18 through 28 is her provision. And then in chapter 2, we'll look at the praise from Hannah. Join with me together as we read through this entire chapter. I hope you get a sense and are able to engage with God's word here as we read and get a sense of the story and allow the Holy Spirit to use this in your heart. Verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. I don't know what soundtrack's playing in your head right now, but the music just took an ominous tone here. <laughs> he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. More ominous music. Verse 3, now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why won't you eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, but Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. 
Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Well, they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Verse 21, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bowl, an ephah, a flower, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he, Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. Let's open uh, in prayer. Lord, thank you again for this morning. Thank you for the decisions to follow Christ that we bore witness to this morning. I pray that your word would speak to our hearts this morning, that your spirit would wield his sword and cut and pierce with power and precision in our hearts. We expect that from you, dear Lord, and we thank you for it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're first going to look at the first eight verses here of Hannah's predicament. We're going to look at what was her predicament and how was she dealing with it, okay? Those are two steps that we could all take probably in our lives, is examining our predicament and looking at how we deal with it. As you can see, as you can gather from these verses, Hannah wasn't exactly living a charmed life. She was a barren woman in a barren land with a barren religion. And she was in a marriage that involved two wives, the other of which had made it her sworn purpose to make Hannah's life miserable. She was childless in a time and in a culture where the value of a woman was largely tied to her ability to have children. A time when lack of children was viewed as a judgment on her from God and subsequently from the rest of society. And on top of that, the reason Hannah was not able to have children was because God himself had, clothed, had closed her womb. The reason she couldn't have kids was because God had closed her womb. If you look at her life, she had a husband who loved her, Assuming, the thought is that Hannah was probably Elkanah's first wife. When she was not able to have kids, he took a second wife, Penina, who had no trouble having kids at all. And uh, Hannah could look at her life. She has a husband who loved her, but because she couldn't have kids, her husband took another wife. That other wife swore to make her life miserable and spent every day trying to make sure that happened. On top of that, she bore, uh, she bore rejection from the rest of society. She dealt with family strife and her own disappointments in her own life. And all of that goes back to the, her lack of not being able to have kids. And that goes back to 
God closed her womb. It tells us that in verse 5 and 6 twice, that God was the one that had closed her womb. It was obvious to Penina that Elkanah preferred Hannah, despite the fact that Hannah could not have children, and Penina was after Hannah. The Bible tells us over and over here that she was provoking Hannah grievously with the express, expressed purpose of irritating her. And we've got people that we live with that do this on accident all the time, right? This was somebody doing it on purpose every day. It was not an accident. And even though Hannah had a husband who loved her, all he does in the first part of this story is make things worse. Not surprising to many of you. Elkanah, when Hannah is weeping, she has no appetite. They're at the sacrifice. They're all gathered around the table as a family. And Elkanah hands out a portion of the sacrifice, the sacrificial meat to the family. And when he gets to Hannah, who is trying to hold it together, has no appetite, he plops down a couple, an extra portion of meat for her. And I suppose Elkanah was trying, right? You can, for the guys out there, we, uh, when we're down and out and feeling low, a nice, fat, juicy steak can go a long way towards making us feel better, right? And he might have thought, this'll do it. This'll help her out. When it doesn't work, he comes up with the words of comfort of, am I not better to you than ten sons? Well, Hannah wasn't living a blessed life life. Her country was a mess, her church was a mess, her family was a mess, and when you look down at her own life and her own heart, she was a mess. And verse 7 tells us that this went on for years. Let that sink in for a moment. This was not just when family came to visit. This wasn't just a, a temporary trial she went through. This was something she was stuck with every day of her life, and she had no reason to think this was ever going to change. There was no end in sight. There was no hope. This was not a picture of Hannah living her best life. She didn't have the hashtag blessed sticker on the back of her donkey. Okay? This is a real predicament that Hannah was going through. And how was she dealing with it? And what was going on in Hannah's heart through this situation? Well, Hannah's name in Hebrew actually means grace. And from the account here in the Bible, it appears that Hannah was trying to live up to her name by responding with grace. There is no evidence, there's no indication in the word that Hannah ever counterattacked. And we could think of all kinds of things to say back to Penina. I know I could. Or to Elkanah. Him too. But there's no indication that she does that. But these attacks are taking a toll on Hannah. She's weeping and says in verse 7, which is likely one of many crying sessions. And they continue to build up year after year until Hannah is no longer able to bear these herself. You and I can imagine all the reasons why Hannah might want a child. In that time in history, in that family, we could think of a lot of reasons, right? I think it's, we find that when, God's with, when God withholds something from us or takes something away from us, that we really have to come to grips with the reasons why we want it. We have to check our heart in James and see if we ask and do not receive because we want to spend it on our own passions. For as we go through trials, whether it's infertility, whether it's a spouse who doesn't seem to get us, whether it's disappointments in our job or in our kids, or whether it's struggles financially or physically, God uses trials to reveal to us our hearts. 
And as he reveals our hearts to us and our desires to us, he is then able to refine them through his word and through his Holy Spirit. It's during trials that we, like Hannah, discover the truth of Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God wants our treasure, just like he wanted Hannah's treasure, to be that which is eternal and heavenly and revolves around God and his kingdom instead of us and our kingdom. And through her predicament, through her suffering, Hannah is learning to look beyond her story and see his story, even when nothing seems to make sense. But right now, she does not have peace. She is tormented. Alistair Begg says that when we ask, why is this happening to me? The answer is not in the this or the me, but the answer is in him. When we ask, why is this happening to me? The answer is not in the this, and it's not in the me. The answer is in him. Hannah's bearing this trial and trying to make sense of it, and it's not working. And finally, after days and weeks and months and years of torment and deprivation and confusion, and with no end in sight, Hannah reaches her limit. She comes to the end of her ability to put up with this anymore. She comes to the end of her ability to make sense of any of it. She comes to the end of herself. And what does she do? At long last, after years, Hannah's predicament, all of her great suffering and confusion, all the provocation from Penina leads her to full-on, unabashed, defenses down, desperate, honest, heart-changing prayer. Her great predicament leads her to great prayer. In verses 9 through 18, we get a sense of what her prayer was like. We can see some of the words used to describe her state of mind and to describe her prayer. Words like deeply distressed, wept bitterly, forgotten, affliction, pouring out her soul, great anxiety, and vexation. Any of those words sound familiar to you? Have you been there? Are you there right now? We can learn a lot from Hannah's prayer. Really a lot to learn. We're just going to kind of zero in on two things here, though, especially that I think we can learn from Hannah's prayer, and that's to whom she prayed and how she prayed. To whom did she pray? In verse 11, we see that Hannah addressed God as the Lord of hosts. He was addressed that earlier in, uh, in verse 3 where they went up to worship the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. This is the first time in the Bible that this term is used for God. This shows that she saw him not as just the God of her problem, but she saw him as God over all the universe. The Lord of hosts could be translated Lord of the heavenly forces. She is seeing the big picture, or she's seeing a big God as she prays. She is starting to see herself and her problems in light of his eternal plan. He is not just God of, her, of Hannah's house, although he very much is. He is also Lord of the heavens. Her perspective is changing. And it's important for us also to see the greatness of God in our lives and in the midst of our problems to see that he is so great, that he knows exactly what we're going through. And he is fully aware of the most intimate details. 
And he is so great that he can take all of those minute details and fit them into a larger plan and a purpose that affects all of eternity and accomplishes his plan for his eternal kingdom. What Hannah was going through during this trial had not a purpose just for her own relationship with God and her own sanctification, but for God, but it had a purpose for God's eternal kingdom. So that all that was happening to her worked together for her good and for your good and for my good. And what is going on with you right now and what is going on with me right now is not just for your good, but it's for my good and for all of our good. Whatever is happening to believers in Africa or Asia or even over in Nebraska, all of those things are happening for your good and for my good too. Because in all of those things, God is at work. And Hannah's prayer shows that she is learning that. She knew that ultimately what she didn't have was because of God. Not because she'd got a letter in the mail telling her God had closed her womb, but because she recognized God as the Lord of hosts. But she longed to have something more that she could give to God, a son. We see Hannah's vow here in these verses, and this was not a this was not a situation where Hannah was trying to make a deal with God or bribe him into getting what she wanted, but rather this was a cry from someone who had come to the end of herself and was left with nothing but empty hands. Empty hands held up to God saying, all that I am is for you, and all that I have and all that I desire is for you, and whatever you see fit to give me, I give back to you with these open, outstretched arms." Blessed be the name of the Lord, for the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Here I am, Lord, Hannah cries, for you are the sovereign God. She could pray as Jesus taught all of us to, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are the Lord of hosts. Who we pray to matters. Who we pray to matters. I'm not saying that addressing God as a Lord of hosts is some magic way to get what we want. But we need to understand and realize in our hearts God's greatness and his sovereignty. And these will affect our prayers. And they will better align them with God's plans. So to whom she prayed, we also see how she prayed. Verse 15 tells us that she poured out her soul. This was not a gentle tipping of a pitcher of water to fill a small glass. This was a, a glass pitcher that had been knocked off the table and shattered on the floor with pieces of glass all over the place and water spilling out. This was not a nice, controlled, packaged prayer that comes after she had been able to make sense of everything herself and process it into a nice package to finally present to God. We're not necessarily trying to match her expression, but we should match her heart of open, poured out, honest, and raw. We do not have to guard our thoughts or our prayers before God. We don't have to dress up our prayers for God. He knows our thoughts before we've even thought them, much less before we bring them to him in prayer. God is not a boss in a boardroom waiting to hear a nice, logical presentation on the problem, as well as our solution and our three-step process for making things right. He is a God who knows our every weakness 
and sympathize with the, sympathizes with our weaknesses. And he has in every single way been tempted as we are, but without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You want to know what it looks like when we are desperate and have come to the end of ourselves? Look at Hannah's prayer here in 1 Samuel. She finally came humbly without her own solutions. She came desperate with nowhere else to go and nothing else to offer, and she poured her heart out boldly before God at the throne of grace. And just like in Psalm 42 and Psalm 62 and many others, like Lamentations 2 and Job 7 and Job 10, she poured out her soul. And just like in Psalm 6 and Psalm 55 and Psalm 73, she went into the tabernacle in bitterness of soul and she came out in peace. She, like Asaph in Psalm 73, found that when she could not understand why the wicked prospered and why God was not blessing her, when she went into the house of the Lord, it all made sense. Through prayer and God's work in her heart, she came to a perspective that focused on the Lord of hosts rather than on her circumstances and her suffering. Trials and predicaments in our lives present to us the opportunity to focus. We can either focus on ourselves and our problems, or we can focus on our God. And it's when we come to this point, when we have moved from predicament to prayer, that we begin to receive our provision, just as Hannah did, as we see in verse 18. Hannah's predicament drove her to prayer, and her prayer brought her provision. There's a sense that even her prayer itself was a form of God's provision to her. Because we see in verse 18 that even before she had a son, before she was pregnant, and even though Eli had kind of said, good luck, I hope you get what you want, that was in no way a promise that God was going to give her a son, but she went out and she ate and her face was no longer sad. What had happened? Through her prayer, God had worked in her heart. And even though she had not received a son yet, she had received provision from the Lord of peace and comfort and contentment and trust in God. Prayer had changed her heart. But God in his great goodness not only provided her with peace of mind and faith in him, he also saw fit to provide her with a son. And she named him Samuel as an acknowledgement that he was indeed from the Lord. As we look at verses 21 to 23, we see that when the next year, when the rest of the family went up to the temple, she decided to stay home with Samuel. And it would be easy to think that Hannah was starting to get some cold feet here. But I don't think that's what happened. And I think the rest of the text bears that out for us. Hannah was committed to her promise to give Samuel to the Lord. Hannah was so committed that she put in the hard work of mothering this boy. She was so committed that she nurtured him and taught him and raised him to the best of her ability. She was up at night feeding him. She was caring for him when he was sick. She was playing with him and loving him with him with all the love that she had. And she did it all out of her love for God and out of her desire to present to God the most beautiful gift that she possibly could. 
She devoted herself to the task of mothering this boy and parenting this boy with her whole heart, all the while still within her heart, offering him up to God with open hands and joy in her heart. Is that how we parent our children? Is that how I parent my child, children? With open hands before God, dedicating my life to giving them as an offering to him. You see, at this time in Israel's history, God needed a leader. He needed a leader devoted to God who had been taught what it means to fully lean on the Lord of hosts so that God could use him to lead his people. God needed a leader he could use to select Israel's first king and their second king, a man God could use to anoint the man who would be the king from whose line the Messiah would come. And before he got that man, he first prepared for himself a great mother. Before God got that man, he first prepared for himself a great mother. And Hannah did just as she had promised. After Samuel was weaned, probably around age three, we don't know for sure, she brought him to the temple. She reminded Eli who she was and the promise she had made to the Lord, and she left Samuel there. What trust she continued to have in God's sovereign care for his own. So Hannah's predicament drove her to prayer, which God used to provide her with peace and a son. And to cap it all off, we see Hannah's heart again as she brings praise to God. It's a good pattern for us to follow, isn't it? A predicament that leads us to prayer, that leads to provision, that leads to praise. This isn't something that necessarily has to be a progression where you leave one behind and go to the other. In the midst of our predicament, we should be in prayer and receiving provision of peace and comfort before God. And in the midst of that predicament, we can bring praise to him because he is the Lord of hosts. This is not something we move past the predicament, but within it, we pray, we receive provision from God, and we praise him for who he is. We see Hannah's heart again in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We've looked so far at the state of Israel, a land with no king. A land that was barren spiritually. A land where men, men did what was right in their own eyes. We were able to see a particular woman in a particular family who was going through a private hell. But through God's perfect plan and by his great grace, she had been brought from anxiety and bitterness and vexation of spirit to a peace that passes understanding. Through God's work in her heart and by being brought to the end of herself, she had come desperately and humbly to God in prayer. She had gone from trying to make sense of her story to seeing the beauty of his story. She is able to say, as we see in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 together and see Hannah's prayer of praise. Verse 1 of chapter 2, and Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. 
My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness." For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. The focus here of Hannah's prayer is on God and on his kingdom. God is referred to 25 times in these 10 verses. And other than the first verse where she refers to herself four times, Hannah doesn't mention herself again. The hero of this story is not Hannah. This is yet again another story about God. What is the big picture that God wants us to see? It is that we, like Hannah and like Israel, are helpless on our own. In verse 10, Hannah prays, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Anointed is the Hebrew word for Messiah. It's the first time in the Bible it's used in reference to a coming deliverer. It's this prayer that Hannah prays is, was used as the the pattern for Mary's prayer when she found out she was pregnant with Jesus. Mary's Magnificate, another woman who gave up her son for God's kingdom. Hannah was barren physically, and Israel was barren spiritually, and they both needed to turn to God. Hannah had come to the end of herself and cast herself at God's feet in desperation and cried for deliverance. She had come to the realization that as for God, his ways are perfect. She was trusting in her deliverer, not just from her earthly circumstances, but more importantly, from her eternal need for rescue from her sins. She was trusting in her Messiah. And let there be no mistake this morning, God is not mocked. If we make a life for ourselves, we will come to the end of it and have nothing to show for it but a tired, worn-out body that is helpless to save itself. For what does it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? We must all come to the realization that we are like Israel, making ourselves king of our own life, and we are in great need of deliverance from our sin. We are a barren land and a barren soul in need of the way, the truth, and the life. But God, as we heard a little earlier, God 
has shown his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whatever you're going through this morning, brothers and sisters, follow the example of Hannah and run to Jesus. Whatever predicament you are in, run to Jesus. Are you confused? Run to Jesus. Are you hurting? Run to Jesus. Are you weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And in his arms, he'll take and he'll shield you. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The story of Hannah is a story of a great God. Using the small and often miserable details of a seemingly insignificant woman's life to shape a heart fully reliant on him and devoted to him so that he could use her to help accomplish his plan for the deliverance of the entire world. The example of Hannah that we need to follow today, I think, is summed up well in 1 Peter chapter 5. And with this, we'll close. 1 Peter chapter 5, God says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever amen god thank you for your word thank you for the examples of your children that you have written down for us to leave us instruction but also to show us that your plans and purposes for your kingdom have been present since the beginning of time I pray for each person here, God, if there's anyone here who doesn't have a story that involves turning to you from their sin and trusting in you as their Savior, God, I pray that this would be the day that a new story would be written down and that we would be able to see your plan unfold in one more soul for your eternal kingdom and for your glory. I pray that you would take us from here this morning and that tomorrow morning we would live for you and that Tuesday morning we would turn to you and that every day this week we would have our focus fixed on you and a treasure that is in heaven. And we pray in Jesus' precious name, amen.